Section 14 of The Purple Cloud. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Purple Cloud by Matthew Phipps Scheel. Section 14. One day, standing in that wild region of bare rock and sea called Cornwall Point, whence one can see the crags and postillion wild rocks where land's end dashes out into the sea and all the wild blue sea between and not a house in sight save the chimney of some little mill-like place peeping between the rocks inland on that day i finished what i may call my official search in going away from that place walking northward i came upon a lonely house by the sea a very beautiful house made it was clear by an artist of the bungalow type with an exquisitely seaside expression i went to it and found its special feature a spacious loggia or veranda sheltered by the overhanging upper story up to the first floor the exterior is of stone in rough-hewn blocks with a distinct batter while extra protection from weather is afforded by green slating above the roofs of low pitch are also covered with green slates and a feeling of strength and repose is heightened by the very long horizontal lines at one end of the loggia is a hexagonal turret opening upon the loggia containing a study or nook in front the garden slopes down to the sea surrounded by an architectural seawall and in this place i lived three weeks it was the house of the poet macon whose name, when I saw it, I remembered very well, and he had married a very beautiful young girl of eighteen, obviously Spanish, who lay on the bed in the large, bright bedroom to the right of the loggia, on her left exposed breast being a baby with an india-rubber comforter in its mouth, both mother and child wonderfully preserved, she still quite lovely, white brow under low curves of black hair the poet strange to say had not died with them but sat in the sitting-room behind the bedroom in a long loose silky grey jacket at his desk actually writing a poem writing i could see furiously fast the place all littered with written leaves at three o'clock in the morning when as i knew the cloud overtook this end of cornwall and stopped them and put his head to rest on the desk and the poor little wife must have got sleepy waiting for it to come perhaps sleepless for many long nights before and gone to bed he perhaps promising to follow in a minute to die with her but bent upon finishing that poem and writing feverishly on running a race with the cloud thinking no doubt just two couplets more till the thing came and put his head to rest on the desk poor carl and i do not know that i ever encountered aught so complimentary to my race as this dead poet macon and his race with the cloud for it is clear now that the better kind of those poet men did not write to please the vague inferior tribes who might read them but to deliver themselves of the divine warmth that thronged in their bosom and if all the readers were dead still they would have written and for god to read they wrote at any rate i was so pleased with these poor people that i stayed with them three weeks sleeping under blankets on a couch in the drawing-room a place full of lovely pictures and faded flowers like all the house 
for I would not touch the young mother to remove her, and finding on Macon's desk a big notebook with soft covers, dappled red and yellow, not yet written in, I took it and a pencil, and in the little turret nook wrote day after day for hours this account of what has happened, nearly as far as it has now gone, and I think that I may continue to write it, for I find in it a strange consolation and companionship. In the Severn Valley, somewhere in the plain between Gloucester and Shelton, in a rather lonely spot, I at that time traveling on a tricycle motor, I spied a curious erection and went to it. I found it of considerable size, perhaps fifty feet square and thirty high, made of pressed bricks, the perfectly flat roof, too, of brick, and not one window, and only one door. This door, which I found open, was rimmed all around its slanting rims with India rubber, and when closed must have been perfectly airtight. Just inside I came upon fifteen English people of the dressed class, except two who were evidently bricklayers, six ladies and nine men, and at the further end two more, men, who had their throats cut. Along one wall from end to end were provisions, and I saw a chest full of mixed potassic chlorate and black oxide of manganese, with an apparatus for heating it and producing oxygen, a foolish thing, for additional oxygen could not alter the quantity of breathed carbonic anhydride, which is a direct narcotic poison. Whether the two with cut throats had sacrificed themselves for the others, when breathing difficulties commenced, or been killed by the others, was not clear. When they could bear it no longer, they must have finally opened the door, hoping that by then, after the passage of many days perhaps, the outer air would be harmless, and so met their death. I believe that this erection must have been run up by their own hands under the direction of the two bricklayers, for they could not, I suppose, have got workmen, except on the condition of the workmen's admission, on which condition they would naturally employ as few as possible. In general, I remarked that the rich must have been more urgent and earnest in seeking escape than the others, for the poor realized only the near and visible, lived in today, and cherished the always false notion that tomorrow would be just like today. In an outpatient's waiting room, for instance, in the Gloucester Infirmary, I chanced to see an astonishing thing. Five bodies of poor old women in shawls come to have their ailments seen to on the day of doom, and these, I concluded, had been unable to realize that anything would really happen to the daily old earth which they knew and had walked with assurance on. For if everybody was to die, they must have thought, who would preach in the cathedral on Sunday evenings? So they could not have believed. In an adjoining room sat an old doctor at a table, the stethoscope tip still clinging in his ears. A woman with bared chest before him, and I thought to myself, well, this old man, too, died doing his work. In this same infirmary there was one surgical ward, for in a listless mood I went over it, where patients had died not of the poison, nor of suffocation, but of hunger. For the doctors or someone had made the long room airtight, double boarding the windows, felting the doors, and then locking them outside. 
they themselves may have perished before their precautions for the imprisoned patients were complete for i found a heap of maimed shapes mere skeletons crowded round the door within i knew very well that they had not died of the cloud poison for the pestilence of the ward was unmixed with that odour of peach which did not fail to have more or less embalming effects upon the bodies which it saturated i rushed stifling from that place and thinking it a pity and a danger that such a horror should be i at once set to work to gather combustibles to burn the building to the ground it was while i sat in an armchair in the street the next afternoon smoking and watching the flames of this structure that something was suddenly born in me something from the lowest hell and i smiled a smile that never yet man smiled and i said i will burn i will burn i will return to london while i was on this eastward journey stopping for the night at the town of swindon i had a dream for i dreamed that a little brown bald old man with a bent back whose beard ran in one thin streamlet of silver from his chin to trail along the ground said to me you think that you are alone on the earth its soul despot well have your fling but as sure as god lives as god lives as god lives he repeated it six times sooner or later later or sooner you will meet another and i started from that frightful sleep with the brow of a corpse wet with sweat i returned to london on the twenty ninth of march arriving within a hundred yards of the northern station one windy dark evening about eight where i alighted and walked to euston road then eastward along it till i came to a shop which i knew to be a jeweller's though it was too dark to see any painted words the door to my annoyance was locked like nearly all the shop doors in london i therefore went looking near the ground and into a cart for something heavy very soon saw a labourer's ponderous boots cut one from the shrivelled foot and set to beat at the glass till it came raining then knocked away the bottom splinters and entered no horrors now at that clatter of broken glass no sick qualms my pulse steady my head high my step royal my eye cold and calm eight months previously i had left london a poor burden cowering white i could scream with laughter now at that folly but it did not last long i returned to it the sultan no private palace being near i was going to that great hotel in bloomsbury but though i knew that numbers of candlesticks would be there i was not sure that i should find sufficient for i had acquired the habit within the past few months of sleeping with at least sixty lighted about me and their form pattern style age and material was of no small importance i selected ten from the broken shop eight gold and silver and two of old ecclesiastical brass and having made a bundle went out found a bicycle at the metropolitan station pumped it tied my bundle to the handlebar and set off riding but since i was too lazy to walk i should certainly have procured some other means of travelling for i had not gone ten jolted and creaking yards when something went snap it was a front fork and i found myself half on the ground and half across the bare knees of a highland soldier 
I flew with a shower of kicks upon the foolish thing, but that booted nothing. And this was my last attempt in that way in London, the streets being in an unsuitable condition. All that dismal night it blew great guns, and during nearly three weeks, till London was no more, there was a storm, with hardly a lull, that seemed to be howl her destruction. End of section 14